Thanks for tuning in to the Hunting Public Podcast powered by Dakota Lithium. On this episode, Ben and I are going to be talking elk hunting, and we're specifically going to be talking about some of the things that we look back on and think, what the heck were we doing, and why did we play it that way in that situation? I think that going back and reflecting on mistakes is a helpful thing moving forward, and when we first started elk hunting, we made a lot of mistakes, and we really only had one way of going about calling to elk. We would just cruise through the timber and bugle a bunch, try to get a response, and then once we did get a response, we would just keep bugling at them. And that definitely can work, and we're going to continue to do that in some situations, but we've also learned that there's a lot of situations in which that doesn't work, and there's a variety of factors that go into what decisions we make when calling to elk, but that's what we're going to cover in this podcast. Vortex wanted me to share a tip with you guys for how I choose optics based off what we're hunting. And I would say more than what we're hunting, I choose my optics based off what settings we're going to be in. So I have a couple pairs of binoculars that I flip back and forth from. I use a pair of Diamondback 15 by 56 binos for when I want to glass a long way away. So if I'm going to be in open country like elk hunting or maybe out in the plains hunting deer, I'll bring those more powerful binos that will really reach out there. I also, in those situations, will be carrying a spotting scope as well. The spotter that I carry is the Diamondback HD 16 to 48 by 65 angled spotter. I really like that thing. Back in the day, I used to think that I would never have a use for an angled spotter, but now I don't think I could go back to a straight spotter. It's really handy for glassing in steep terrain, but also makes it a little bit easier, at least in my opinion, to set it up on a tripod and use it that way. The other pair of binoculars that I switch back and forth to are also a pair of Diamondback HDs, but they're the 10x32s. They're much smaller than those 15x56 that I use when I'm out west, and they're just a little bit lighter, easier to carry. So if I'm going to be in more of a close quarters situation, like in eastern timber or hunting elk in the dark timber where I can't see very far, I'll carry those smaller binoculars. And I like having both options. It works great for me. And if you have any interest in saving some money on Vortex Optics, go over to eurooptic.com and enter the code THP10 when you check out and you can save yourself some money. We also partnered with Go Wild last year to help combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. All you gotta do is visit downloadgowild.com to get started. One final thing before we get started to help get you fired up for elk season is I'm finishing up the elk series that we filmed the last season. So if you're not familiar with our elk series, every year we edit the footage that we filmed the year prior and put it on the channel right at the beginning of September. So I'm finishing those videos up now that are action packed, that are some of my favorite videos that I've ever produced. So I'm really excited to share them with you guys. The first video is planned to go live on August 27th. So be checking the main THP YouTube channel for that. And with that being said, Let's talk elk with Ben and get this episode started. So Ben and I are going down to meet up with our brother Keith. 
<laughs> and our brother Josh Elderton. That's what we're doing, but we're always talking about hunting, and we figured that probably going to have a elk conversation at some point, so I think that's what we're going to do. Heck yeah. We had a good hunting season last year, learned a lot, and we recorded some podcasts in the audio version um, that talked about some of the things that we had been learning, but I would say at the end of it and having more time to reflect, we just probably have more things yet to talk about. So I think one of the things that's fun about elk hunting is it's like a clean slate for learning where we've deer hunted for so long and even turkey hunted for so long that you've chipped away over the years at learning some of the lessons of hunting those species. And I think that while you're always learning about those there's like bigger jumps that we're having every year with elk. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I feel at least. Yeah, the big difference is we're getting our reps in like one to two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, not a whole season. Right. It's we're hunting basically the peak rut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like there's a, a lot of things that are similar. Obviously, like we talk about it all the time. Elk hunting is very similar to deer hunting in a lot of ways, and very similar to turkey hunting in a lot of ways, but because it is a different species ultimately uh, the biggest thing that i feel i take away from every season is trying to understand the language of that species where like for example i was hunting with my dad and we were turkey hunting and we called in a hen and that ultimately led to a pretty intense conversation between me as the caller and the hen and that ultimately got a tom fired up and brought him in. But I explained to my dad afterwards, I was like, I feel that over the years, you hear enough hens chatter amongst each other and listen to other people's videos and, you know, your friends' videos and whatever else. And you just get more and more experience to where you almost feel that you can understand what that hen is saying. Like, what is she saying in response to what you say? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times... You know, as you get better at that, it's just going to make you not only more confident um, when calling, but it's just going to make the whole decision-making process a little bit easier. And I feel like with elk, that's just something that we're not as experienced in. And to the point of, I look back on the first year, and there's so many things that I think differently about as far as like our calling strategy and like where we look for them and all these different things. But ultimately, the experience is what helps. And I think. That's just what makes it fun, man, and I, I'm excited to learn more about it and, um, yeah, ready to do it again this season. we still got a few months away, but we're going well, we to be getting after them. We got here to talking about it and figure why not do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> what, what were you going to talk about about, like, So we, we were talking we about the them. decision we made last year. Mm, that's right. Basically, we got to a trailhead, and it was, like, let's say 10 p.m., pretty much – yeah, oh, hell, it was probably midnight. Mm-hmm. Knowing what time we got there, <laughs> <laughs> we had to basically hike at least ten miles in, and we weren't going to do that all at night, but we were going to try to get that hike a little shorter. Mm-hmm. So the decision was, when we got to the trailhead, was do we chase this bull that's bugling two hundred yards from camp, as in like camp right here, and wake up in the morning and assume he's still here? There's only like two trucks at the trailhead. It's the last few days of season, or do we? 
bomb in there and bomb in there the next day. Blind, just, essentially. Yeah, blind, but it's a place that we had, you know, specifically you had map scouted. You went back, you hiked back there once. Mm-hmm. In the you know, summer before that we, like, season. had a ton of confidence in theory of the spot. And essentially we made the decision to pretty quickly to be like, hey, let's not just chase this one here because we've done that turkey hunting before mm-hmm. where we chase the one by the road you kind of something ends up stupid happening even mm. if you have a good encounter you're still not 10 miles in there mm-hmm. so well with, and with I, also like also like four days left the season yeah and i think this is like how we kind of got to it is uh the value of having hunting partners that you learn with and evolve with that's this is a whole subject we could dive into for a really long time but just for the sake of mentioning it how we got on the conversation is something that I've recognized about myself is I'll come up with a couple options or up to four options and then I'll just start bouncing off the pros and cons and then it's like okay I've got five cons for each and I've got five pros for each and I just can't make a dang decision and it's like I need help just pushing through that and it's not that I really think there is a perfect decision it's just I need help sometimes having hunting partner that'll just be like hey do this and the year before jake kind of pushed us all to not overthink it and just go to the spot that we wanted to and then the following year you did the same thing i remember standing there thinking about it and like man it does kind of seem dumb to to leave elk to go find elk but you pretty much just said hey i think we should do this because of this this and this and it's like you know what good enough for me and we just made the decision and that's valuable and i think different situation if it was 10 a.m and you right one be going with the trailhead right totally different <laughs> it's like you could also just sleep there and he ends up on the next mountain tomorrow yeah which is yeah what ultimately he sold me on was we could wake up and even if he is right there which is a good chance he's moved like you just said a long way away even if he is right there, what if we chase him way back into a direction that we don't really want to go, and we lose him, and then we kind of feel like we're in a spot that we don't want to be with you know, time running out because, like you said, we didn't have a lot of season left. So I just thought it was a cool moment of really just, like, yeah, I, I don't think, know, working I think, together to make a decision. Yeah, and where we were going from there was talking about how um, in elk hunting, I guess the difference – in elk hunting and deer hunting for me it's just like the time that i have to do it it's just mm-hmm. completely condensed to like you know a fourth of the time yeah so you go into a situation like that or like years before where like we could do this as a little side mission but we know where the best spot that we've all been talking about for months is and if we eventually make it back to that then it's usually as good as we think or better yep but um you know deer hunting we do the same thing where we kind of piddle around but it's not as bad because you have a whole season you have more time to afford some mistakes of just not actually getting to the x yeah where it's like with elk season constantly you know time's constantly running out you don't have time to you know just be like you know what let's go try this it's like well we got only really a couple of weeks like you said generally to do it we don't have time to be like well we'll go over here and see how it works out. It's like, no, we got to just go to the places that we're most confident in and just not mess around. Yeah. And I think that, and I'd say at this point, you know, this, this will be our fifth year hunting. I, I super confident in the areas we've been looking at on the map, you know, also you having the ability to go out and kind of scout, mm-hmm. 
ahead of time, at least just getting eyes on like what the terrain is and what um, the scale of things is. Yeah. And then being able to just be like, that is the X. Let's go try that. If it's a bust, we go on there and somebody's already shot the one bugle in there. So be it. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of plan B through Z. Yeah. But. Which I think is like really an important aspect of it as well it's just like having backup plans i mean that goes for any hunting but the more scouting that you do the more uh places you can get eyes on before season which is going to vary year to year i mean it's something that i'm constantly struggling with uh, trying to find enough time to do it for any species just because i don't live right beside anywhere that i hunt so it's like a time commitment to go scout but if you can get more eyes on more land and you know, use the map scouting time to pick out a bunch of different options as well. Once you get there, then it's just a matter of going and not messing around, just getting to those spots, seeing if it's worth your time, and then continuing to move on. And like a lot of the times when we're elk hunting too, or even deer hunting, we're just creating routes that help us check off multiple of those spots in like a given day or a given afternoon or maybe even in a couple of days is like okay we'll make this big loop and in two days we'll have covered all of these options and i think that that's something that especially in in an elk hunting scale or like big timber whitetail scale it's it's nice to hit a couple spots along the way in a given uh, outing yeah so like last year you killed one in there Mm -hmm. but we had a plan of like that was the oddly enough that was the closest of the x's <laughs> yeah yeah and uh we had a big loop that you know would have taken the whole rest of the season if we would have done it if mm-hmm. we were busting ass but <laughs> yeah like looking at it now it's like there's probably no way we were doing all four of those spots that nah. we talked about well and i mean ultimately you would ultimately, hope that you would run into something along the way yeah true which but like but it doesn't hurt to have the plan b through z because you could always get that tag again and yep go back oh yeah and try it. which is kind of the nice thing about uh yeah, just, I guess, picking those spots is we like to try different stuff. We always like to go to different areas. Like, one of the things that I started doing a while back, and for my situation, is something I like. It's, I'm definitely not telling people that this is, like, something I definitely think everybody should be doing, but going to an area, even within a like a public area for example that's different than where i've had success in the past because i feel like that challenges you to think of things a little bit differently like if you go right back and do the same thing you did last year you know success is great but it's kind of like you've already figured that out i like that added challenge of going to a new area so a lot of times i'll put a spot that i've had luck in the year prior on hold for a year or two or sometimes more where it's just like you know what that that been there done that kind of deal let's try something new and try a new challenge because i don't want to get into a habit of just doing the same thing over and over again and because of that i really think that that's helped you know the whole overall vision of hunting and and giving you confidence to just go into something new and have confidence i guess if if that makes sense so looking at it's like july 6th today Mm -hmm. what's your plan if you're able to get out and scout in some of these areas we're going to be hunting this fall um, or this September, mm-hmm. what's your plan as far as, like, how are you going to approach scouting, you think? I think something that we've had a lot of luck with is just laying eyes on areas. Like, not necessarily looking for 
anything too specific as far as sign and like if you can get a visual on an actual elk that's great but just laying eyes on the lay of the land which you kind of alluded to earlier but looking for glassing points confirming whether or not you can see a lot from a spot confirming how well you'll be able to hear from that spot like maybe there's added factors like more or less water in an area than what you think um and that's kind of you know that'd be a good one just looking at the water features on the map and trying to confirm whether or not that makes sense like this year because mm -hmm. it seems like there's been a lot of rain coming this year yeah so statewide is is a lot of rain kind of unique last year there was a lot of rain too so we had a plethora of water everywhere we went but this year it's even more and i think that that's probably a good thing but it never hurts to go check and confirm because when you do you may learn things too like simply sound like how much is that going to affect mm -hmm. things if water's rushing in areas that it usually isn't yeah. it may make it loud and hard to hear bugles um another thing that it may I, make grass grow a lot more in areas that typically would be real dry yeah like a south slope might be loaded with knee-high grass mm -hmm. changing know. feeding areas and stuff like that yeah. is definitely a, a potential thing that could change and the, the big one that i really like to do because i think you can learn a lot from the map but until you get eyes on something you never really know and that's your ability to see in different terrain features so for example i usually think you want to be up at the very tip top of the world to be able to glass a lot. But what I've learned through scouting missions is sometimes you stumble across an area where it's like, wait, I never really realized that from here you can see as much as you can because maybe that finger that isn't necessarily the highest point on the bridge is where it gets you out far enough to see back around a corner or around the next ridge over. And I think that that's something that... Uh, I would like to chip away at as well you'll never get to all of the places probably or i think you should always have more options than what you can even make it to in the off season um, that way again you're just loading up that list of plans and plan b's but i think looking at it from that perspective is kind of a cool thing that's helped us a lot too and also why we were able to be pretty efficient when we went in last year like you said we had been in there i had been in there in the summer one time last year where we ultimately killed a bull and the only thing i really did was get a gauge on how long it was going to take to get there mm -hmm. how physically demanding it was but also just pretty much laid eyes on the area mm -hmm. and knew that from that spot we could see a lot and that's where we were going to kind of start hunting and i think doing that especially in a elk hunting situation because you can get a visual in a lot of situations or you can lay ears on stuff that's really helpful and that's kind of the cool thing about hunting elk just like hunting turkey is sometimes you see them sometimes you hear them then that's what tips you off to go and i like i really just like getting a feel for the lay of the land and the habitat as well because habitats vary and you know food sources vary and obviously with the rain there's a good chance that food sources are going to vary enough to to have a pretty major impact on where animals are moving something 
on a different topic, I guess, would be things that we had learned last year or like that were reiterated to us last year. I know you're, you've been going through some of the footage, working on the uh, videos from last season, like especially hunting with Grant in the first half that I was there and then <laughs> after that. Um, but we <laughs> we just call too much sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of reading, getting better at reading what the bull is saying. Yep. And we were dealing with a lot of uh, big boys yeah. that, were, that were talking and not necessarily saying, hey, come fight me. They had a little harem of cows with them. Mm-hmm. And just in a lot of situations, we were just pushing too hard, being too loud, um, when ultimately the closest we ended up getting was when we just kept sneaking and keeping ears on yes. the animals, keeping the wind right, keeping the ears on the animals, and just moving in tight. Yeah, and I feel like the one podcast we did last year – we dove into that quite a bit, and mm-hmm. I, the one thing that continues to be confirmed when I've rewatched the the game film, as I like to call it, is when you're dealing with situations where you're watching a bull and you kind of know the herd dynamic, you're able to treat that situation a little bit differently than when you're just cruising trying to find one, mm-hmm. just by simply hearing, like. What I mean by that is if you're in dense timber on a bench and you can't see but, you know, 100 yards at the very best, but most of the time it's pretty closed closed off in front of you because the timber's so thick. If you're doing that, you may be walking through cow calling occasionally and then bugling occasionally to try to locate bugle a bull. I think in those situations, you're almost hoping to, A, catch a cruiser, a lone bull that's doing just like a white-tailed buck does, moving around looking for cows, or you're stumbling upon a bull with cows and you enter his world almost by accident and it just fires him up. Because on the other hand, when we get visuals or even can just uh, visualize where they're at and how they're acting based off of you know, what they're doing. Like, for example, if we listen to a bull or watch a bull go down onto a bench and he bugles a lot and he eventually, like, bugles less and less as he gets more and more localized to his bedding area, we can assume that he's in there with cows. If we know exactly where that spot is, you know, we can see it or we can hear that it's definitely coming from that high point or that knob or that bench or whatever and you're able to just go right to that spot with the intention to call that bull in, I think you at least have the ability to play that differently. And you can go in and you can start slow versus going straight to the bugle. And I think that's just one thing that we're learning that there's different styles within this elk hunting game that when we first started, it was just like, yeah, walk around and just blast bugles and hopefully one responds and then try to get closer. But we've been in so many more situations now that, it's just one of those deals where uh, it's you, you learn that it is situational, and I think that that's really cool and um, something that just takes time to learn, and I don't think we are even close to knowing really what the answers are, but the one thing that always sticks out to me, because we consistently have this happen, the situation I just described where we know where a bull is bedded and he's likely with cows, a lot of times we get some sort of visual on them to know that that's true. When that happens, in the past we've gone in 
got as tight as we possibly can to them. A lot of times they'll continue bugling as we're moving in, and sometimes they start to hear us, I think, and think we're other elk and start, you know, bugling from their bed. And then we get in tight, we'll be within 100 yards or even closer in some situations, and then we just start bugling right out of the gate. And middle of the day, too. Like, this isn't necessarily something that's happening at even 3 or 4 p.m. This is at, like, 11 to 1. I think we may just start going into those and just doing, like, a little bit of raking, mm-hmm. popping some stuff, just trying to sound like a bull is, like, on the scent of these cows. Mm-hmm. And that he's kind of coming in a little aggressive, but not fake aggressive, I guess. Yeah, yeah and also... And not even, maybe not even fake, but just, like, out of character is what a, you know, satellite bull would be trying to accomplish. Right, just coming in and just blasting a bugle right at right at the herd bull which i mean the reason that we say that this is not something we want to continue to do is because almost every time we do that the bull changes his demeanor it's obvious that he gets up he lets out a bugle that is a little bit different and i think it's been described i've heard it described as the roundup bugle where he goes into a high pitch and then kind of like a lip ball and then that's it and then they're moving out and i mean last year we did it and we even got a visual of that happening yeah like we bugled pretty quickly and the cows got up and started moving and the bull was moving with them and they were just moving up and out of there they were close i mean they were probably only 60 yards away but the problem there was we now have kind of blown our opportunity that we had spent all morning hiking up into we had got a visual on them they went down into a specific bedding area we eased our way in got in tight we knew we were tight to him and then started calling cow calling he responded a little bit and then we went right to the bugle and it just seemed like same old story which had happened to us a lot in the 2021 season and i just think that starting that slower is worth a shot. I don't know that that's the answer. I mean, maybe we'll just continue to have the same result in a lot of those situations. And if that's the case, then again, we're going to continue to learn and adjust. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee it's not going to work just, 100% of the time if we start slower, but it, it's worth trying. It's because, worth trying, and I feel like it might, even if it doesn't work eventually, like at least it's not going to just like freak them out right off the bat. It's mm-hmm. not creating like chaos mm-hmm. right off the bat. Yep. Which... Uh, yeah, I guess well, that's what the problem I see what we've been doing mm-hmm. in some cases, just coming in and all of a sudden just taking it from zero to ten. Yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden you were asleep. Yeah. You were sleeping one second. Next thing you know, some dude's just trying to, like, rob your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, and take your cows. And It's uh, a good point. You may want to try to kill them eventually, but you'd like to at least, like, you know, wipe the boogers out of your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the other thing is, is, if he's giving away his location, why not stalk? Yeah, that's what that's what I was gonna say. It's like you already know he's in there. They've and got if he's freaking gonna... huge tongs. Ton- <laughs> <laughs> They've got huge tines. <laughs> it's not that hard to get see a visual him move around every now and then. The t- the tough part that I've heard from other people that have more experience with it is just cows. you know beating the cow's eyes. But even then, it's like if you're going slow enough, especially once you know that you're kind of in that danger zone where the bugle's inside of a hundred as long as you pump the brakes and you really take it easy and try to walk silently move slowly not move too fast i think 
there's a lot of situations in which you can get away with it, but it's harder to, it's harder to do that when you're so call oriented too. And I think that again, what we're realizing is, is there's a time and a place for the call and there's a time and a place for the stock. And Mm -hmm. the one thing that I think we also really learned last year was just if they're bugling, just cut distance. You don't have to bring them to you. Just get in there. Like if they're bugling a bunch, just like we would do with a turkey, we would just keep cutting distance if he's gobbling a bunch. Mm-hmm. If he's bugling enough like, to stay on him, just I, keep with it. So like picture situation in the morning, like maybe he's bugling and all of a sudden like either he shuts up or you've, or you, you know, he's just gone around a terrain and you can't hear him anymore. Like you're in a worse situation if you're standing there trying to call mm-hmm. than you are just cutting distance because you might get around that terrain feature and you might just be like, wow, he's really moving out. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you're never going to catch him, but you're going to eventually, if you keep ears on him, you can probably get, make a good guess to where he ended up betting down. Yeah. Or at least where he, you know, slowed down. And yeah, it's similar to like track. losing a turkey because he just goes around some terrain. It's like if you lose a turkey and he goes around some terrain, if you continue to sit there, you may not know that that's what he did, but if you just continue to sit there and never make the move then next thing you know the morning's up and that's kind of all she wrote where it's like if you continue to push and keep moving towards it i think the other thing is just recognizing that a bugle is a lot louder than a turkey gobble right so it's like you can hear that from a lot further away and sometimes it sounds like you're right on top of it but if you've never spooked an elk by running it over then why not just keep pushing until you start to do that? Yeah. You know, and I, I, we didn't do that for a long time. Like no. we really didn't run an elk over until probably our third year. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why did we, why did we not do that more often? If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. One that comes to mind that I kind of look back on and see every once in a while and think, man, what, what, like in theory, at the time, it was exactly what we wanted to do, but it was the one where we ended up making multiple moves on this bull, but I think it was our, uh, maybe like our first morning in the 2021 season where we could see on the, what we would call like the lane, there was just a big long meadow. Oh, okay. And the hill kind of went up and, and made a crest, and the bull was bugling on the other side of that crest. And we went up to about 40 yards away from the crest and set up and called. And I look back on that, and I'm like, why did we not just walk up there and try to get a visual before we set up and started calling? Like, mm-hmm. what was likely happening is he was more like 250 yards, and we thought he was 100 or 150, and he's, you know, further than what we thought, and we were just kind of calling blind. I mean, kind of calling blind. Mm-hmm. It wasn't totally blind, because obviously he's there bugling, but I just think back on that, and it's like, you know how easy it would have been to just crawl up another 40 yards and at least poke our heads over and be like, okay, we should drop back and call mm-hmm. or option B, know that we need to keep moving. But we never even gave option B a chance because we took option A without even looking. And I, I think that's kind of a funny one because it does a good job of explaining um, that that learning of, you know, now I don't think we would do that because we're just getting better at knowing when to call, when to move. It's just a good example of that. Yeah. Do you have another one that comes to mind? Um, I'm trying to think. I had something in my head. Oh, okay. 
this is a different kind of what we were talking about though like not pushing too far mm-hmm. I, this i feel like this almost worked last year you know got up in there and essentially they went up and over the ridge and then bedded on the north slope yep and you could just hear the cows every now and then well, we ended up just hanging tight for a couple hours and just kept glassing down in there and they're like close enough that you could smell them mm-hmm. like the wind would swirl right you you're like all right they're they're with we're within a, a couple hundred yards at least and eventually like the cows got up and just kept feeding and it was super cool watching them feed through and like he had to have just been yards behind them mm-hmm. and they <laughs> they just got too close for you know the wind was like theoretically right but we just got they, they just got just over the lip and caught our wind and bounded back and ran i think it i think that was a good example of us like not diving in there mm-hmm. when it's like all right they might just feed through here and that's exactly what they did maybe we could have just positioned a little better when we saw them the cows maybe mm-hmm. we could have just gone up just so we didn't get winded yep and kind of let them move past mm-hmm. and let the bull probably follow behind yeah grant could have just popped up over the hill and shot him mm-hmm. um yeah that was a good I think example that one was of like, hanging it was loose so, it was so close to work and it was just like a freaking deer hunt was, yeah that was cool yeah and it was really just a matter of which is a struggle and i don't know that there is really ever much of a good answer for what to do differently in these situations but it's like there was just so many cows that ultimately one of them got too close mm-hmm. I mean, we had by the end i think we had probably six plus cows that were inside of bow range easy and he was consistently getting closer and closer and closer but it was a really slow process that was ultimately too drawn out and something something went wrong but what was kind of interesting then too on the flip side is as soon as they busted that fired him back up Mm -hmm. which i think is something that we've also learned is sometimes spooking an elk is something that can just get you restarted on the rut frenzy especially if there's multiple bulls and their satellite it like kind of gives everybody this sense of urgency i think and then they start talking again a lot more and as soon as they busted multiple bulls started bugling even though there had been just one Mm -hmm. and as they bugled it was kind of the other side of it where it's like you know what they're moving out we obviously spooked something and got every everything all worked up again like let's just cut in there and just keep cutting distance to hang with them that way they don't get away from us and next thing you know we've walked you know we probably chased them a mile mile and a half but because of that and just continuing to cut that distance off next thing you know we're right on top of one so i just think that uh it's kind of a well it's a total situation deal right every situation is a little bit different but i think the biggest thing that comes to my mind when trying to differentiate when should i move when should i not well if you assume they're bedded like they're not moving anymore that's when you want to slow down mm-hmm. just as generalizing the the situations because obviously there's a whole bunch of different ways to to look at it but if they are bedded that's when you go slow if they're up on their feet and they're bugling a lot they're moving around a lot that's when you get aggressive and i mean that's a very very generic statement but i think is probably one that you'd say is pretty consistent yeah and being able to 
I guess kind of learn over the years we've learned like a bed bugle mm-hmm. or like a, like you were saying the frequency of bugling or like where they're bugling from it's kind of just narrowing down to this one you know 10 acre area mm-hmm. um, being able to be like all right that's probably where they're going to end up laying down if we slowly cut the distance in there and we hear one you know knock some brush over or make a cow call mm-hmm. like you can just assume that they're still in there even if he's not just like ripping bugles mm-hmm. um, and then that being kind of your cue to slow down yeah another one i think is, that we've learned is like in that situation we we're just talking about when those cows got up and ran past him it's like just like a you know a hen taken off mm-hmm. tom gobbles like this cow started to run he bugled i feel like the first year we probably just would have been like oh we're in the game now right when it's a, it's actually just like hey girls where are you going yep. i'm following and then he bugled again and it was freaking like 400 yards yeah. out <laughs> yep he bugled and we were just like get ready boys because we don't have to run and it was like as soon as we got ready and everybody was packed back on and ready to rock it was just like cut it you know cut the distance cut the distance yeah. cut the distance and that that is just and something I, we even, actually we even cut tracks we went we yeah. started to follow them and i feel like we kind of heard like a faint mm-hmm. bugle but there was other bulls bugling so we didn't really even take the time to be like worried about it because they were so far but then we i remember cutting tracks and then like eventually got on the terrain feature that they would have followed out of there mm-hmm. it's like all right there's you know 10 <laughs> elk moving in this direction fast probably the ones we just bumped and so we just kept on those tracks and i feel like that eventually got us in the zone of where these other satellites were were bedded mm-hmm. or at least where they were close to and then all of a sudden we're in the frenzy again yeah yeah we never even caught up to those cows and that bull again. yeah i don't I think, think we did way the hell up there yeah i think we ended up probably you know, bumping into one of the other ones that was kind of on his own rutting around just kind of well because remember he was actually probably backtracking where those other elk came from he was mm-hmm. bird dogging and we just bumped into him kind of cutting back towards where we had come from is almost what it seemed like he was doing yeah. one of the things that um i thought was unique about last year was we hunted some different terrain features that I think we learned a lot about the challenges of hunting those. And what I would describe them as are holes. Mm-hmm. Like the very, very lowest point in a valley where in a lot of deer hunting situations in, in eastern hills, they're a little bit broader, but in some of these really tight drainages, the terrain made it so that sound traveled in very confusing ways and we had to chip away a little bit at kind of understanding how that sound was traveling through that bottom but we consistently found ourselves hunting elk in there and I don't know that we really ever figured it out other than at a certain point you got to just get into a position where you can hear as best you can by closing distance towards where you think they are. And I know that's just like pretty broad, but it's like just kind of got to get in there at a certain point because if you're standing there trying to pinpoint it for too long, you're just going to continue to get more and more down the rabbit hole of confusion. Yeah, (laughs) And I feel like going into this season, we're going to have, just looking at the map, we're going to probably have some holes to be dealing with, which is cool. And I think maybe thinking about how to go into them, approaching with the wind, yeah in our favor or like planning to be in our favor Mm -hmm. so like we're dropping in the morning being like all right as soon as the sun hits that hillside it's going to be coming up that hill Mm -hmm. let's we don't know exactly where they are down there let's take that approach in 
because the wind's always going to be safe. We know they're down here. They're probably not just going to boogie or, you know, a thousand feet up and over the next ridge mm-hmm. and just kind of be that sort of our slow approach down in until we get some kind of cue or, or get eyes on them, honestly, yeah. as steep as it is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of reasons that they will be down, though, and I think we've always focused so much on the top of the ridge that we've overlooked a lot of areas that are down low and I've talked to other friends um, about hunting and you know low ground situations and it's something that I think if you find the right recipe especially um, you know in heavily pressured areas it seems that those overlooked spots can be right by the road like I talked to um, some of Ted's buddies that hunted an area that was right off the road, like less than a mile from the road, where they had intentions of going back in there, but they saw other hunters right away and realized that everybody else was doing that same thing, and like cut off the trail and just ended up getting down in one of these holes and immediately ran into like a whole bachelor group of bulls early in the season, but ran into like seven bulls. And there was hunters all around them all kinds of hunters at the trailhead but just by picking that hole where you know elk are getting down low into this place where you got to put a lot of effort to get down in there with them they found the elk and i think that that's something that has really just come to light to me in the last year where i used to just write off anything that was you know below a certain elevation on the ridge but now it's like "Mm, maybe that hole you know again once you do your scouting and know where water is too it's going to help you confirm whether or not that that's a good enough place for them if it has everything they need or not and i just think this idea of hunting these low spots or these holes is going to be pretty fun to continue to learn about and hopefully have some well executed hunts we haven't been into the area we're going to hunt this year a whole lot but Mm -hmm. just looking at the map i think we're we're not going to deal with it maybe as much of a a broad mountain feature that might collect water for longer like mm-hmm. a lar- really large scale bench on a mountain yep um so like way I steeper could see, yeah way steeper which means the water is going to get down to that hole faster and i'm assuming that's where the better forage is going to be for mm-hmm. them too yep and whereas in the past you know we get up on top of some of these areas and they're you know pretty pretty alpine scenarios where mm-hmm. the water's sitting around in like marshes sort of longer yep um so I, I'm, I'm super intrigued to hunt some different terrain, different elevations, different um, situations than we've been in the past. Yeah, and I think as we learn more about it, too, it's going to be cool because you can take it to a whole bunch of different areas that, again, in the past I had rode off because it's like, well, that's just too steep. You know, they want to be on that flatter stuff. And it's like, well, maybe, but in the right situation, they might be in those holes as well. And I just think that it's something that... Um, it's kind of a big jump as far as another option and again nothing's exclusive like you might not find we might not find them at all there this year Mm -hmm. but it feels like it's an additional thing to check out which gives you more options again and and based off of conditions year to year those spots may change or where they may spend their time but like on a drier year those holes are definitely going to be more of a draw because that may be the only place where there's you know good running water is at the very very bottom of a bunch of drainages coming together almost like you know what what a lot of people call the 
thermal hub in a whitetail hill country scenario, I think of those holes as kind of being the same thing. They're just more dramatic because generally they're a lot steeper down at the bottom. They're not as broad. It's just really pinched down by terrain. Yeah, and I think approaching those, like we said, with the wind in our favor and also just keeping in mind that when you get to the spots like that, that one, you're going to be skylined easier Yeah. because it's steep. Mm-hmm. And so being in conscious of like the cover and the shadows and how we approach those. And then also just really trying to get a visual if we can going into a spot like that. Mm-hmm. That's something, I guess, when I think of the, when we dove into the hole last year, it was getting dark. Animals were moving a lot. Mm-hmm. The timber was dark down there too. Yep. But we might be in situations where the timber could be a little more sparse. It could be, you know, a different tree composition too. Mm-hmm. Shadows could be different. So maybe thinking about if we can, you know, going into it where the shadows are in our favor. Going mm-hmm. in, I do you know, think where that we're, we're kind of in a our cover is almost the shadow going in in the evening or something like that or morning it's just something that we're always getting better at too is just being conscious of getting skylined and being skylined i think is something that on the surface seems as simple as well if i'm on the top of the ridge and there's no cover behind me you can see me on the skyline but getting skylined happens in a lot more scenarios than what i initially think of when i think of getting skylined it's like you can be halfway down the ridge but at the right angle from the right bed you, you're sticking out like crazy but the easiest way to learn if you're getting skyline or not is just continue to look backwards just always look back but yeah i think th- i think that's going to be an exciting terrain feature to try to like really target and mm-hmm. um, you know get into this year and see if we can't learn more about it definitely different than what we've done in the past gonna make some interesting pack out scenarios yeah I, <laughs> yeah i've been thinking about that a lot too it could get really gnarly just because it's going to be really steep and there's a potential that we're going to be shooting them way down at the bottom and i think that that's pretty cool and gonna it's be all more reason to have buddies all more reason to yeah have buddies that uh, don't have bad knees because <laughs> i ain't gonna be as much help as i normally am yeah. this year which i told colin it's like just plan on me doing nothing, and then if I can do anything, it's better than what you expected. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I just really have no idea. I mean, there's some situations that truly uh, r- r- scare me big time. I guess I want to know some of your favorite memories and, like, lessons from a scenario last year. Because, like, I've been watching a lot of the footage, and it's like, sometimes I just feel like... Uh, there's just like this you know huge surge of just like info that i get because i rewatch everything but like what are some of the things that come to your mind i can give you an example if you want some time to think um no i've got a couple that okay. i was thinking of when we were watching the video the other day yeah so we already talked about just yeah the calling too much i mean we've talked quite a bit about that one that comes to mind i think it was the morning logan had to leave us mm-hmm. yeah yeah where I mean, we all kind of weren't ready, but we well, we were doing this thing where we would camp in the spot and it had been raining like hell <laughs> the past few days, and this was like one morning it didn't. Finally it broke. Finally then. had broken, yeah. So we we had, were just kind of getting up to this little rock, and we were glassing the some of the alpine stuff to try to get eyes on elk farther away. But we were all kind of spread out at that point, and like there was one bugling, and it was one of those scenarios where we don't, 100% know what happened but 
kind of seemed like a bowl might have been moving in real fast, real close, and then it all just stopped happening. Um, I don't really know what to do differently than just be all together when that started mm-hmm. to go down. Because I feel like I didn't. I may have gone to like take a dump, yeah. but I think I also just like went up to that rock without ever saying anything. And in the morning, basically, you you end up elk hunting, camping in some spots that are like really good. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden in the morning, you got to have done your best behavior because a uh, hey boy might be on the next meadow over. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of seems like what happened because like yep. Logan had left us and seen a big bull in like the next meadow over yeah and we did and we had no way of communicating obviously and like we didn't know that until we talked to him in person later that day yeah and i just think that and with that that's one that like you don't even you just literally grab the bow and make the move make the move bow and camera and Mm -hmm. yeah especially when things get kind of rough and everybody's tired and wet and just getting towards the end of the hunt or even at the beginning of the hunt, it's hard to get up and get ready to go when you got all the camp stuff. So, like, there's pros and cons to camping out there. And we've obviously over the years talked about the benefits of camping in the elk woods close to where you want to hunt. But something that I think we should try more in the future, and I think you would agree completely, and it's situational, but having a base camp, and then being able to work away from that base camp to where it's getting you closer to the action, but not necessarily right in the action. Because one of the benefits of that is even if you're taking time to get ready, you're not necessarily missing opportunities because they're running you over. Where if you have that base camp, you're able to get ready. And even if you're a little late, you're going towards those spots where elk are frequenting. And I think that it's hard to just get up, get everything ready, everybody be on the same page it's like i mean we've made the joke for years in the muzzleloader hunt where we've got a big group of guys going to do deer drives it's like to get everybody out the door and actually into vehicles is a chore you have to work for it because somebody forgot their snacks somebody's got to go to the bathroom by the time you know colin went back and checked opened every door in his vehicle and then didn't get anything somebody's got to go to the bathroom again it's just like oh my god like let's go (laughs) but that's just one of those commitments that I think we could get better at. I mean, just being completely transparent on it, like we have dropped the ball on being efficient and getting ready in a lot of situations. Like if we're not up and ready, you know, getting ready before daylight, we're probably going to be late to the the punch in a lot of situations. But, you know, having a a base camp will be fun to try some. I think we're planning on doing that a little bit more this year. Yeah. That could be really freaking cool. Yeah. And being able to hunt with, like, the lack of gear, while it's never going to be impossible to eliminate for a full season, I do think minimal gear just makes everything a little bit easier. I mean, if you can move maneuver your body quickly, like when we killed the elk this past season, you and I had no packs on. Like, we were just hunting like we were hunting. I mean, we were hunting with less stuff than we have all over deer hunting. Yeah. It just so happened that, you know, we bugled under the tarp, and we had all our stuff laid out, and he bugled, you know, so close that it's like, well, we're not even going to need water by the time this is all said and done. Whether we get them or we don't, yeah. by the time it's over, you know, we can just go back and get our stuff real yeah. quick. And it just made everything so much easier to maneuver, and, like, ultimately we just crawled right up to where we could literally see him rubbing and he still thought we were up where we called from Mm -hmm. 
which was, I mean, really one of the main reasons we got him is we were able to slip in that close. Yeah. I'm thinking about a situation in which you wake up in the morning and and you're backpacking and you may not be super close to water. Like, you don't make that move for water. And then at some point during the morning hunt, you've got to get water or you feel like shit. (laughs) And... But, like, in the base camping scenario or, like, even, you know, just camping by the trucks in a trailer, camper, tent, whatever, mm-hmm. um, you got a water jug. You wake up, you put enough water in there for the day. You got a filter in the bag in case you come across water. Mm-hmm. But, like, you just go into it like a deer hunt. Like, this is kind of how I'm limited today. Mm-hmm. But also I'm ready when, it, you know, in dark still. Yeah. You know, I'm not just, like, I didn't, like, drink half my water last night with my meal and, Mm-hmm. So that could be, especially in a drier area, that could help us yeah, be a little I've, more efficient in the morning. I agree. I think that there's so many aspects about backpacking that put you in the game faster, but there's a lot of aspects of it that just hinder you. Like they kind of handcuff you to have to do a task before you're actually making the move. And I know that slowed us down a lot of times. I mean, there may be, there may be like up to five to ten times that we don't even really know about where we've missed opportunities at least somewhat missed opportunities or chances to be in the game because of um having to get water or having to pack the tent up or whatever it may be and i just think that sometimes base camp is the answer yeah i'm excited for it this year i mean we're gonna have two elk you know within our group of a few people we're gonna have two elk tags a deer tag and Sounds like a few bear tags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool to have just a lot of things to go after and kind of you know just different options, different strategies to put into place. And I think I don't know, just continuing to learn. I I feel the one thing that we've done that is probably the thing that I'm the most proud of is that we continue to try to learn different areas every year we're going into a different area every single season we've never hunted the same place more than like i guess we have hunted the same area twice but as soon as we did that we were just like well let's start doing something else because we have these preconceived ideas and ultimately when that's the case it just makes you treat an area differently versus when you go into an area fresh, you have no idea, you have no expectation. You just hunt it the way that, you know, you feel confident in when you go in and then you just don't second guess it. And I think that going into a whole new area again this year, and then we'll turn around and do it again next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, we might do it multiple times this year. Who knows? We might go into two, three, four different places that are different. You know, it's just exciting ultimately too, man your primary tag holder going into the season and i think that's just also cool it's like colin's got a deer tag but i don't know there's just so many cool things about it and so many unique things about going into this year so we're about to josh's now we're gonna go hang out with him now that it's taken us significantly longer than we ever thought that it would <laughs> but here we are and we got <laughs> appreciate appreciate everybody listening hope you guys enjoy the on the road podcasts This is the second one that I've recorded like this in video form, one with Nick and then now one with Ben. And I think it's fun and unique and it's a good way to kind of pass the time. So if you enjoy it, 
leave us a comment tell if it's cool or if there's too much road noise or we're annoying y'all by driving around or we're driving erratically or something but hey (laughs) we're erotically (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next one